Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and sweaty mess. And I'm joined, as ever, by my sweaty co-host... Sam Ashurst. And I'm a sweaty writer, I'm a sweaty director, and I have some dry corrections to make from last fortnight's episode. Yes, I'm just going to go straight into that, get it out of the way. Firstly... It is Susie Hunsecker, not Judy Hunsecker, as I kept saying in our Sweet Smell of Success episode. Also, Brea Grant's name is pronounced Brea, and 12 Hour Shift is not Brea's directorial debut. She made a film called Best Friends Forever in 2013. Now, those last two corrections came from an email from Jeff Connor. Thank you, Jeff. And the Judy Susie thing came from me listening back to the episode and realising I'm an idiot. Dan, do you have any corrections to make from the Sweet Smell of Success episode? Uh, yeah, yeah, apparently <laughs> I called Whiskey Galore Whiskey A Go-Go, which I am deeply ashamed about. Yeah, uh, it's John, uh, aka at Odd Really on Twitter, pointed this out to me, and I kept my head in my hands for all of like a half second before physically contacting human flesh repulsed me and I had to just air myself off again because fucking hell, this it's all too hot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to blame the heat for these mistakes because it wasn't actually that hot like, no, when we recorded no, 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 that the... episode, but um, I'm just going to blame the fact that, you know, the reason we say at the end of every episode, you know, we promise to be more professional next time is because we do make this up as we go along. So, you know, there it's will, all lies. There Films will, aren't even real. <laughs> exactly. There will be mistakes sprinkled in there. Um, I, I could no one corrected me about the Susie Judy thing. It really was from me listening back and going, why? Why did I say that? Why am I saying this? So, you know, it, it's every now and then this job is quite humiliating. And speaking of which, let's talk about Blood Tide. Dan. Another humiliating job for a whole bunch of people. <laughs> uh, Dan, the plot of Blood Tide, what is it? How 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 would you explain this film to the lovely Arrowheads? Um, it's, I mean, it's a pretty simple, albeit slightly minimalist plot. Uh, Blood Tide's uh, 1982 British, I think, is it Greek co-production? Yep. I mean, I know it was shot, shot over in Greece. Yeah. Directed by Richard Jeffries, it's uh, about uh, a young couple who go visiting the island an island in Greece to try and hunt down uh, the guy, the the lead's uh, sister, uh, and fall in with James R. Jones, who is a brilliant alcoholic, um, and slowly become aware of what might be some kind of cult goings on that James R. Jones feels can only be solved with whiskey and dynamite. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, as as so many things are. Yeah, and it kind of, it, it leans on the cult stuff heavily, to start with so it opens with you know your typical virgin sacrifice with a upside down aids ribbon drawn on her forehead um and her sack dress falls off to bare her breasts shortly before she spits a coin out i mean we've all been there i'm sure but you know the, the opening sequence does have some really nice shots yeah, it's pretty nicely photographed. Yeah, mostly. The, yeah, it, it really is. There's a the underwater shot of the light coming through the planks of the raft. That, that's quite beautiful, and it actually made me look up the DP. Um, do you know? Did you look? Do you know the DP? Did you look this up? Um, I remember them talking about him on the commentary, but I don't. I didn't look him up. No. Um, well, we'll get on to uh, 
I didn't actually watch any of the extras, and we'll get onto the reasons why <laughs> towards the end. Yes, I'm, at least I'm being honest about it. But um, yeah, it's it's Aris Stavrel, who, believe it or not, also shot Singapore Sling, um, wow. which is uh, obviously one of the most fucked up films ever made, but is also very beautifully shot. Yeah, think, very nice. If think Fassbinder meets Lynch, and that's Singapore Sling. Um, so yeah, there, there is kind of talent behind this very very weird film yeah it's interesting Uh, there was a lot of stuff like not a lot of stuff some stuff was done without the director's involvement yes Uh, mostly uh, most specifically the editing (laughs) oh that's interesting (laughs) Uh, which which draws a nice parallel between this and sweet smell of success and and whereas in that the director you know had his permanently moving camera because he knew he was going to get locked out in this uh, jeffries the director didn't know what fate awaited him and as a result he yeah he, he couldn't he didn't prepare in the same way uh, and he was ultimately locked out of the the edit so he, he's a little grumpy about that in the extras it's, it's a good it's a good commentary but yeah i like i think the, the the thing is that the film has a lot uh going for it and but what's interesting is that it gained its cult status when one of the main things it has going for it which is lush scenery nicely photographed just wasn't there like I, like presumably almost everybody else, saw like a terrible fucking VHS copy of this, where it was, you know, everything in the caves was dark as shit. You couldn't see anything, and the only thing that benefited from that was the terrible monster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they they kind of keep it hidden as much as possible, but uh, yeah, they don't hide it enough. And yeah, as you say, VHS definitely did it uh, some favors. Um, but yeah, on on this kind of print, yeah, I really love the credits um like i love the title design like it's really yeah really nice which well, um, zardos font isn't it yeah yeah exactly yeah and i find the kind of music quite atmospheric um have we ever discussed the concept of keyboard guy on the podcast before uh i don't think we have no so keyboard guy is a character um that i imagine every time i watch a film like this and we have this synth. this kind of atmospheric synth score exactly um, so I basically imagine keyboard guy standing just behind the camera or just off shot playing the score live. So um, precious arrowheads, try it yourself next time you watch one of these films. Um, it does add a bit of fun to, um, you know, what can be a, a semi arduous experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know what? Yeah, I watched this film three times in the last week. <laughs> so I, i'll take sam's uh silence as tacit astonishment yeah. <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> uh I, in all fairness it's because i i decided to get an early start on our homework uh and uh but i'd had a bit too much to drink so i fell asleep before the end the first time around so i then watched it again all the way through and then i watched it with the audio commentary so three three two and a half watches so yeah that that silence was was part astonishment but also part guilt because i didn't watch the commentary (laughs) so i'm like oh god um do they talk about jeff bridges on the commentary dan no no so he was in contention to play the lead at one point um oh wow but they got a pound shot val kilmer instead yeah uh, who you know you probably recognize as being the villain in karate kid um, Indeed. Are you a Karate Kid fan at all, Dan? It feels like one of those films that you don't like for some strange reason. Is that right? Um, I don't have a problem with it. I've not bothered revisiting it since I was a child. Okay, I fucking love Karate Kid. But um, 
Yeah. Uh, isn't there a new? Isn't there a TV series around these days that's about how Karate Kid was the bad guy? Yeah, uh, I haven't actually watched it. It was a YouTube series, and now I think it's gone to a streamer. I think it might even be going to Netflix, so I, I will catch it at some point. But um, you know me, I generally avoid TV stuff. Um, but speaking of the performances, Bloodside features some of the greatest improvised ADR I have ever heard. Um, <laughs> the scene when they're walking backwards and they're clearly making stuff up to match what they're doing in the scene is just, it's like satire. How did you feel about that scene? Did it stand out for you at all, Dan? I, I, don't, I don't know if that one did, especially like the whole thing, like dialogue, on a dialogue level, the whole film is baffling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like I, there's a lot of improv, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I feel like they couldn't afford fake whiskey for James L. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll round off this point about the improv, like do keep an ear out for it. it it's sort of normal 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 and then in sequences like the perfume scene it, oh my god that perfume scene is fucking wonderful it's it's it, it's just got a real garth Marenghi's dark place energy i think this film um, we didn't know what to get you so we got you the most expensive one <laughs> yeah. you're not enjoying it right <laughs> you do not pour it into your eyes um yeah and and we should say we're not going to go into spoilers this is all stuff that happens before the midpoint um and i don't really think we're going to go into too much detail because uh but yeah uh, james l jones uh, mentioned him a couple of times the film really comes alive whenever he's on screen i think i'd like to see night of the living dead with just james l jones's vo- version of barbara dropped in every time <laughs> i mean barbara yeah. barbara flippers he's just like i he's playing a character who's arguably more unlikable than Darth Vader. I have absolutely no idea oh, definitely. why he's slumming it in this film. Um, well, you, know. the, you get that little bit of insight. He's like, your sister made me come here. This was all her idea. Yeah. Like, when we meet him, we assume that he's this like suave Lothario yeah. who's like seduced this guy's sister and taken her to a cult island where she's fallen foul of some local hoodoo. Yeah. But it turns out that he was entirely intoxicated by whatever shit she had going on, and she's been called to this island by some other level presence. And he, now he's just sad and drunk because his girlfriend's off, like, getting face-painted by a bunch of, like, crazy Greeks. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I, that is a perfect description of the character, but I was actually questioning why James L. Jones is <laughs> why in Why he was film. in the film. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, perhaps I mean, he fancied it. looks it. like it was a nice holiday. I yeah. was about to say exactly that, but perhaps he fancied a nice holiday. I think that we've, we've nailed that. That's, that's it. And, you know, did they it's, talk about the... James L. Jones on the commentary at all? Or Again, they didn't cover... Like, I think he was a consumer professional and not particularly interesting. Like, right. he turned up, he did his stuff, and he, he left. And as a result, there's not a lot of great stories. There's One of my favourite things about the extras is uh, Master Akis does a, an interview, and obviously he's as mad and wild as, as you'd expect, the producer. Yeah. Um, and when they ask him about the director, he's like, oh, I bet you'd like to... I'd like you'd like me to tell you that it was a nightmare, but actually, there's that side of things. There's no great stories because we got on like a house on fire, and uh, you know, and, and that was fine. He was professional. He turned up. He did his job. Everything was great. And then on the audio commentary, the director's like, "Yeah, Master Akis is basically a con man," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and his his financier was a fucking money grubbing idiot who turned up in a giant yacht while we were all sleeping in a hostel. <laughs> oh wow. And a yacht had chartered to Greece from England, I might add. Oh my god, I love it. 
I mean, yeah, that's good commentary. It's worth that, it. That explains a lot. I mean, the film, it, it, it's slow in places and not in the good way, in the boring way, but it is punctuated by moments of beauty and moments of really fun weirdness, um, like those, those scenes that we mentioned, uh, and more. So it is definitely worth a watch, especially if you watch it as I did on the Arrow video channel. That is why I didn't watch the extras. Um, I've, I've recently moved um, from Scotland to uh, Devon um, for the time being. So, yeah, I was kind of in transit when it came to do this. And so I realised that one of the main reasons we were doing this film was that it is on the Arrow video channel. Um, so I gave it a watch on there and, and did uh, thoroughly enjoy the experience. Um, yeah, I think even doing slow periods, it's like, think of it like a travelogue. And especially if you've, yeah. you know, got nice and drunk in the first act uh, when all the cult stuff's going on, then you just get to sit back and chat to your friends and watch some nice panoramas of Grecian bays. And, and then, you know, you tune back in when what appears to be the older brother of the imp from Sorority Babes in the Slime Bowlerama pops his head above the water. <laughs> well, th- this is the point. Like, the way to watch this film is not on your own hunched over a laptop. The, the ideal situation is with friends. Uh, it is one of those with friends movies that we occasionally do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would still recommend watching it and I would definitely recommend getting the arrow video channel um i, I perused it uh you, you know between uh getting through blood tide and there are so many fucking amazing films on there um, yeah it's a pretty good selection yeah for like a five a month or whatever it is Th- so that's um, it i'd yeah. say the the channels the channels are great ways to sort of whet your appetite and yeah. then the ones, the films you love or the films you want to dig deeper on, that the, then the physical releases, they're, they're about the extras. That's it, because I did... Or the alternate know, versions. Totally. I, I kind of, I did miss the extras experience. I do think that maybe if I'd have watched the commentary and, and everything else, um, it would have added a, a layer to Blood Tide that perhaps wasn't there. Um, but, but yeah, I think as long as you watch it with mates, as long as you have a couple of beers um you know you will have a good time uh and you will end up quoting it i suspect so yeah i think that's all i have to say on blood tide do you have anything to add dan uh other than to drop the bombshell that the working title for the first draft of the script sam this yes. is a fact a factoid from the audio commentary yeah was called man shark <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh you know and i and, and obviously that reminds me of Peter Benchley's The Creature, but I really <laughs> want I want this movie to be made, but with uh, an anthropomorphic shark with arms and legs that oh. can just fucking get up and cause havoc on a Greek island. So if anyone feels like doing a hybrid between this, Peter Benchley's The Creature, and The Anthropophagus Beast, I will do your effects, please. Can can we throw in a sprinkle of Mansquito? <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> it can be in the same cinematic universe, maybe. Awesome. Love yeah. it. Right. So, recommendations. I am going to go first, I think. I'm hoping that Dan doesn't do this one, but just in case, I want it as my own. Leprechaun yeah, 3 from 1995. <laughs> um, I am taking this opportunity to recommend my favourite Leprechaun movie, purely because it's directed by Blood Tide's co-producer and creative consultant. Yes, there was a creative consultant on Blood Tide, uh, Brian Trenchard-Smith. 
Uh, I love the plot of Leprechaun 3. It's the Leprechaun in Las Vegas. You know, what more do you need? Uh, the setting is amazing, obviously. The characters, the kills are really good. They're kind of almost Nightmare on Elm Street level in places. And yeah, the, love the way it's shot. And it's just, it is the... The promise of the premise is realised finally in Leprechaun 3, I think. I think it's the first great Leprechaun movie. You don't need me to tell you the plot. Just go and watch it. Uh, it is more fun than Blood Tide. I am sorry, Blood Tide. But yeah, Leprechaun 3 from 1995. I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? I don't think I've ever made it to Leprechaun 3. Oh, it's so much fun. I think you'd really like it. It's got a Wishmaster vibe, if that helps. Okay, well, no, I'm in. I mean, if it's Wishmaster, then yeah. I'm, I'm in. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't like the accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I saw, fair enough, yeah. I saw, I think, four. Le is it Leprechaun in the Hoods is four, or is that five? Uh, I think that might be... I, you, it's I either four or five. I'm, I'm not no, going to... Which one's... Is Space four, and then Hood is five? Oh, I think and then it's space seven first, is return then, to the hoods. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't want to make any kind of I don't want to give any facts in this episode because I'm only going to have to retract them in a fortnight's time. So who knows? After we are shamed on uh, on Twitter. Yeah, the uh, I think so. I saw hood first and then I watched number one and then I was like, yeah, no, I'm done with this franchise. <laughs> yeah, no, three is the gem. Yeah. Will it make sense if I haven't seen two, Sam? <laughs> it will <laughs> arguably make more sense if you haven't seen two. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a watch. Once I'll tell you what, once uh, we're allowed to watch films with friends again. Yes. <laughs> oh, it sounds like I'm laughing, but I'm weeping. Yes. Um, okay, right. Okay, my recommendations. So I've got one trash recommendation and one slightly classy recommendation Ooh. based on this which would you like first i'm gonna ask for the classy one so the classy one is essentially based on the subgenre of wicked island horror and you and i sam have had many conversations over the years about how we are particularly keen on this as a yes. subgenre yeah we we both very much like the idea of uh, like a small ecosystem where there are different rules uh, where outsiders may get treated poorly because they don't know what those rules are. Yeah, and obviously we've talked about things like uh, who could kill a child and that kind of stuff. Anthropophagus I mentioned earlier in this episode. There are so many fantastic uh, entries into this, but one I don't think we've mentioned before, but that I know we both love, is a Korean film from yes. 2010 called Bedeviled. Yes, I, oh, <laughs> excellent, excellent recommend. Yes. So yeah, it's a lot more serious and 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 as a result, a lot more hard going. Yeah. Than uh, than Blood Tide, but oh my god, it's worth it. Um, just to give you a little bit of a like a sort of a, a position for it. By about halfway through, I was ready to fuck it off <laughs> because it does do some things, especially in the second act. Yeah. That. I think Hollywood leans on, especially Hollywood exploitation cinema, leans on very quickly as like a lazy plot device, uh, especially like in like sexual violence, that kind of arena. Yeah. So it, it's got some pretty unpleasant stuff in it, but the film as a whole is so well put together and is such a neat little package. It's very nasty. But yeah, uh, Chung, uh, Chul Su Jung, I think, Jang, Chul Su Jang directed it, 2010. It's, fucking great i don't think he gets enough play yeah Deviled. 
yeah, absolutely. It's on. It's on Prime. You have to pay for it, but it's on Prime. It earns everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we watched it together. Uh, you had the Blu-ray, I think, or maybe I did. I can't remember, but um, I do have it on Blu-ray. I certainly do now. So either yeah. you had it and I liked it enough that I bought it. Yeah. Or I had it, and it, it, it. it was vice versa. But um, I actually, and you mentioned Who Could Kill a Child. I did wonder if that was going to be one of your recommendations, but I guess we have already talked about it previously. Well, that's it. I. Yeah, I try. I try really hard to avoid double recommendations. I know we've both done it a couple of times yeah. in the past, um, but I like to. I like to keep it fresh. But you know, obviously, there's a, a sort of an ongoing tacit recommendation list yeah. of great. So if you've not listened in the past and you haven't seen Who Could Kill a Child, watch it uh, and watch it with the original opening and don't look away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, it just there's one shot early on in this. I think it's around about the time. Uh, where someone throws a cat into the shot. <laughs> um, They're like, that's no way to treat a cat. <laughs> yeah, I, who could throw a cat? But yeah, I mean, it is it is one of my favourite kind of jump scares or my favourite kind of pointless jump scares, the, the, the sudden cat. Cat um, in the fridge. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, cat in the fridge. Now, did we come up with that? And is that because of end of days? I don't know where that came from. I, okay, I think fact, it might it might be something you brought into the house. I think it is something that I brought into the house because yes, after seeing End of Days at the cinema, a film that does not get enough credit as perhaps the best film of 1999, a film in which not many good films were released. Um, but yeah, basically, and that is. <laughs> please don't tweet me. That is obviously a joke. 99 is 1999 is the greatest year for cinema uh, of the modern era. <laughs> Um, mainly because of end of days, because there's a moment where Arnie opens a fridge in like an abandoned house and we get a jump scare because a cat's in there. <laughs> it's just the logic of it. I will never, I will never fathom. How, how long has the cat been in the fridge? Exactly. Exactly. Did, and why? Who did, puts it there? Um, did someone, is it there because it's a naughty cat? <laughs> exactly. Or does it know too much? Who knows? Um, but enough of that rambling i'm What's gonna your second recommendation do my next recommendation uh it's not end of days it should have been it is scarecrows which is written by the director of bloodside richard jeffries and for me scarecrows is a, a gem um it's got the so bad it's good vibe um but it's also got a really unique kind of nightmarish quality which makes it kind of stand out for me. It's about a bunch of criminals who hide out in a, like a farmhouse or a ranch. I don't know. You know, I don't want to be corrected on what kind of, you know, building it is, but... Rural um, American. Rural building. American, you know, structure in the middle of nowhere, which just so happens to be surrounded by killer scarecrows. It's this really weird mix of heist movie and horror film. And for me, the ending is perfect. Uh, yeah, it's on the 88 films slasher label, even though it's not strictly a slasher. I, I wouldn't be the first thing that I used to describe it, but it's still... No, I don't think it's supernatural. Slashers tend... I mean, yeah. I guess slashers can be supernatural, but... They yeah. can if you want to, you know, do 25 sequels, but... Well, I guess Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's not get into this. We're going to get twins. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's really fun, uh, really interesting. Um, and yeah, Scarecrows on 88 Films. Dan, what is your trashy recommendation? Well, I was torn. I, w I felt like I should probably recommend Island of Death, 
which is another Masterakis picture, and it's on the Arrow label as well, so you can watch it on the channel, which we've mentioned before, or, mm. or on physical media. But I think I'm probably going to have to go with Norman J. Warren's 1981 classic, In Seminoid. Oh, wow, yes. Um, and it's partly because it's uh, taking uh, American soap actors uh, and putting them into genre cinema, although uh, possibly... Blood Tide was before the soap, maybe. Uh, anyway, but yeah, in Seminoids, an absolute fucking treat uh, of exploitation craziness. Uh, it's it's more an alien ripoff than anything you've ever seen. <laughs> Possibly more of an alien ripoff than Contamination. Another tacit endorsement. <laughs> but it's um, yeah, it's it, it it's a fucking mad treat. It was shot in the Chislehurst caves. Uh, which is actually uh, it's, it's shot in the same uh, location as the end sequence to Borderlands, and there was oh, cool. a there's a wall in the caves that we would walk past every day on the sort of location when we were shooting the end of Borderlands, where the cast of Inseminoids had all signed the wall. Oh wow! And and Chiselhurst Caves, who have like maintained loads of like cave paintings and memorabilia from when the Stones played there and like stuff from when it was a World War II bunker. They've also maintained this wall with the Inseminoid cast I love having it. signed it, which is so sweet. Yeah. Um, like I'd say 99% of the people that go to Chiselhurst have never even heard of Inseminoid. And then if you showed them the insemination sequence with the eggs in the tube, they would be very upset. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, in Seminoids, another another movie with a questionable creature, another movie with American soap stars uh, playing genre, uh, and another movie with Americans at, uh, playing in Europe, although in this case it's England, not Greece. Um, and it's a weird fucking treat. Uh, and there's a there's a Blu-ray out in the UK, I think in the States as well. It's very much worth worth checking out. It's, I think it's free on Prime, actually. Oh, awesome. So yeah. Watching if you haven't seen a Seminoid, it's another one you probably ought to watch with friends. So maybe that's a bad recommendation. Oh, watch well, in your garden, wheel your TV outside, and watch in your garden with some friends. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I did actually earlier. I did kind of recommend that people watch Bloodside with their friends, didn't I? But uh, I yeah, probably exactly. Shouldn't, probably shouldn't do that at the moment. Um, from a distance, your from, friends from at a distance. distance. Yes. Right now, we're going to go into films we've watched from the past couple of weeks. Recommendations we would make from that selection. Um, but before we go into our chosen recommendations, I just want to check with Dan. Uh, yeah. Dan, yeah. have you watched any of the Fright Fest films and are they in your recommendations? There are no Fright Fest films in my recommendations. I was I, I realised that this was an oversight on my part because we've been graced with a bunch of links and I've watched a few and, and there's some great stuff there. But I, the one that I was really excited about, I was about to sit down to on the Sunday that we were meant to be recording this episode. Yeah. And during the opening credits, I got a text and I was like, I'll check this. I paused the film and I saw a text that my friend's cat had passed away. So instead of watching that film, I hosted a cat funeral. Yes. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. Um, that so, is... yeah. So, there you go. so that's my excuse. Yeah. I, I just, I ju it just hit me or struck me that um, this, according to my dating maths, which is never the strongest, but is this the last podcast we're doing before the live episode, before Fright Fest itself? So I feel like we should mention some of these films that um, we've been we can certainly talk about ones we're excited about. Yes. 
he yeah. says, trying to tread water around the fact that he's not done due diligence and watched loads of these screeners that we were very kindly recommended. I mean, to be honest, I'm going to be watching them in the run-up to Fright Fest so we can talk about them on the episode. And, well, and there, the, the, there are the loads I'm excited about. Precious hour ahead. We're doing some admin here live for you. Um, we can't do that because I think by the time we're on, we're on the last day. So I think yeah. a lot of these films would have played. So what we're going to do is we're going to tweet about these films. Well, no, but films. we can talk to the other people on the podcast about them. <laughs> I that, mean, but we will tweet about them as well, obviously. Yes. Right. Shall we go into recommendations based on the past couple of weeks? Dan, what have you got? You're first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will. I mean, I can go first if you want. I've got, I can, I've got them lined up. But like you went first in the last lot. That's true, yes. Um, before I get to my normal recommendations, I am going to quickly mention to Heads Creek, which was uh, a highlight of the screeners that I've been watching. It has been described as Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Shaun of the Dead. It's, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it, it reaches quite those heights, but it's still really fun. Um, I'd say it's more Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Shaun of the Dead meets 100 Bloody Acres. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, that is absolutely the the, the best way of describing it. And, I, I I did really enjoy it, and and it's slightly res- remiss of me not to include it in my recommendations as well. Um, I'd also like to recommend the Columnist, uh, which is on Saturday. It's in the Arrow Video screen at twelve p.m. And yeah, it's uh, a Dutch film um, directed by Ivo van Aert. And it is uh, a really, really interesting look at trolling and the consequences of online trolling. And um, yeah, it's kind of like uh, a joke in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, but drawn out to feature length. Um, That makes it sound like it's not very good, but it's actually really, really fun. And yeah, fun and funny. Uh, and it, it leads to, to quite a cool ending that will um, surprise you, I think. So The Columnist, Arrow Video Screen, 12pm on Saturday the 29th. And yeah, and, and we recommended some last time as well, didn't we? Like Clapboard Jungle and, and, and all that kind of stuff. A Ghost Waits is really good. That's uh, That played at Glasgow and was a big hit there. So they've brought it to the online edition uh, with a new score, which I'm interested to hear. Um, that plays on the Sunday, again in the Arrow Video Screen. Um, and yeah, there's, there's loads of good bits and pieces. Uh, we'll definitely recommend it getting a ticket for the whole lot. And um, yeah, join us on Monday the 31st at 12 p.m. for our live episode. Right, that's it on Fright Fest. Dan, I'm going to ask you to go first on the recommendations because I've just talked for ages. That's all right. It's not it on Fright Fest. I just wanted to say that I'm <laughs> super looking... <laughs> uh, I'm super looking forward to Skull the Mask because I like any uh, non-English language film that is very effects heavy because I'm always very interested to see uh, what the sort of the world of international makeup effects is going to bring to the table. Mm. And based on the trailer, that looks like a fucking blinder. Um, also, blinders looks pretty interesting. <laughs> Seamless. Uh, Seamless links, mate. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm looking forward to Aquaslash. I don't know how high my hopes are for it. Um, but they, yeah, that looks really fun. Uh, yeah, I, it's 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 a minimalist lineup that is. It looks pretty solid. Like I, I think there's some good stuff there. Yeah, um, and, uh, and one more actually um, that I did watch that that I enjoyed and is worth kind of championing, and that's Dark Place. 
Um, oh yeah, tell me about this. Yeah, so it's a it's an anthology, um, and it's uh, made up of indigenous tales using indigenous casts from it's an Australian film, um, and it's sort of exploring post-colonial Aboriginal Australian history through you know horror and fantasy, um, and yeah, there's. It, it it might sound from that description like you know it might be hard going and there are hard going elements to it but there's also really fun elements to it as well um so yeah i just think it's the kind of thing that should be championed and celebrated so dark place that is on saturday the 29th of august at 9 30 p.m and like you say dan it is a really um interesting and and varied lineup this time around um so yeah, happy to be a part of it. Right, Dan, recommendations, please. What have you got? So my first one was something that played at LFF last year. Uh, and I actually remember, I think it was Mike was the first person to say the title out loud to me um, and draw my attention to it. Uh, and I only got around to watching it on Amazon uh, quite recently. Uh, and it's not a genre film per se, but it's Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, great. Excellent. Yeah. Um, which I really enjoyed. It's basically like a sort of a Bayou Kikajuro. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, it was sweet. There were a couple of moments that choked me up a little bit, which yeah. is, uh, you know, regular listeners will know is, is basically my crack. I like a little bit of emotional manipulation when I don't feel too manipulated. Um, yeah, it's it's really nice. The it, it's uh, again not not that far from Blood Tide. You'd be surprised to hear. Um, <laughs> uh, in the few moments where it lulls a little bit, it's a beautiful travelogue. The cinematography is gorgeous. Uh, it's really nice to see the sort of Louisiana swamps photographed so well. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you've got some really beautiful performances. Uh, Zach Gottesgen, who plays the the lead, who's a, a young actor, youngish actor with Down syndrome, playing a character with Down syndrome, um, is uh, is is absolutely fantastic and charming. And and I hope that there's a lot of improvisation in his stuff as well. Yeah, it's it's a sweet movie and it's it's funny, genuinely funny. I love I love that film. I'm so glad that you're recommending it. It's a great great show. And um, yeah, I adore Shia LaBeouf as an actor. And yeah, it will make a pretty good double with Honey Boy, which is on Amazon Prime at the moment for free. So yeah, Peanut Butter. Ooh, I haven't seen Honey Boy yet. Yeah, so um, you can watch Peanut Butter Falcon on Netflix, and you can watch Honey Boy on um on amazon prime um both are free if you have those streaming services so um but that's not my recommendation uh my <laughs> my first recommendation, Same old films. yeah <laughs> exactly um my first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is she dies tomorrow now i was lucky oh. enough to get an advanced look at she dies tomorrow uh which is on curzon home cinema and digital download on the 28th of august now it's directed by the brilliant amy simetz who you may recognize from your next she's kind of part or she was part of that kind of mumble gore crowd um and uh, she dies tomorrow is basically like uh, a benson and moorhead film if they channeled todd solons and accidentally made a film about pandemic depression before the pandemic happened except it is funnier than that description makes it sound um, <laughs> there is a streak of black humor running through it uh the pitch is pretty simple when a woman announces at a party that she's going to die the next day, 
it begins a quickly spreading psychological contagion um, that will put you in mind of the times we're in, but in a beautifully shot and cathartic way. Um, it is kind of one of those magical movies that were not made in, in, with any kind of, you know, unless Amy Simons is a psychic, uh, she would have had no idea what was to come. But it so perfectly fits in with, with a lot of stuff that we've all been through. And so I, I really hope that this this film that you know it's 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 an indie and and uh, a relatively low budget indie. Um, I, I really hope that it finds an audience because I do think a lot of people will connect with with uh, she dies tomorrow. So yeah, out on the twenty eighth of August uh, on VOD and Curzon Home Cinema. I recommend it. Damn, what is next from you? Well, uh, so I've recommended one film that's for free on Netflix. You've recommended one film that's coming out on Curzon Home Cinema. I'm now going to recommend a film that you can't watch in the UK yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a Hulu picture. It came out in the States. Uh, my wife's American uh, and I have a VPN, so we have Hulu <laughs> because she's got an American credit card. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's Palm Springs, which our American audiences will definitely know about because it's the most successful picture Hulu have ever made. Dan, but I've not really heard any English people talking about it. Dan, we have yeah. accidentally here put together the perfect double bill. Now, I'm oh. saying this having not seen Palm Springs, but everything that I've read about it makes me think it'll fit perfectly with She Dies Tomorrow. But but go on, tell us, tell us more. Okay. So I, the, the, this is the thing. I'm, I'm in a position where I really don't want to spoil it. I watched it knowing it was successful, but not knowing anything about it because my British social media pr like place meant that I hadn't actually stumbled across much in the way of a synopsis. And right. there's a huge like structural thing mm -hmm. that, that like it's, there's no way it's not in a trailer. I've not seen a trailer for it. There's no way it's not in the trailer. Everyone, like it's no way it's not how Hulu are advertising it. It's no way it's not like if it ever comes, if it comes to Netflix in the UK, it's no way it's not in that fucking blurb that plays at the bottom when you're deciding whether or not to watch it. But I genuinely think that if you're smacked in the face with that as a surprise, like I was, it's going to be a better film. That said, it is a great film, even if that's not a surprise. Uh, it's got a fantastic cast. Uh, Sandberg is, is really good in it. Um, it's nice to see him doing something like a little different, although his character is not that dissimilar to his regular output, but the character actors around him are fantastic. But, the the main thing I'd say is that it is going to be marketed ostensibly as a rom-com, but our audience watching it will see horror tropes abound within this film. Oh, cool. And it's absolutely fucking great. Like, I, I, I went to... And like I was like, why the fuck hasn't this come out in the UK? What's going on after we watched it? And uh, and I went to Amazon, like to not Amazon, to, to IMDb, and I was reading up about it. And I noticed that, like, the parent guidance thing, yeah. Uh, and they, where they're like profanity mild it's not mild they say cunt uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean they don't say mild on IMDb either but like you know they, they do the ratings and then they're like gore and threat none and I'm like they tase someone until they cry blood wow how is that none <laughs> I mean this... but it's all but it's wrapped up in this rom-com like rapper so I feel like our audience might like I don't know how they're marketing it I don't know when it's coming to the UK but I do know that there's a strong chance that they will like just gloss over a lot of the stuff that will actually make it appeal to our watchers our right. listeners right 
Um, yeah. But I, I think it's it's really fucking solid. It's very well put together. The performances are great. The effects are good. It's got some astonishingly violent moments in it. And yeah, in, yeah. And J.K. Simmons is fucking great. So yeah, watch it. Wow. I mean, you've sold me. Yeah, I think I got sold halfway through that. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> right. Next from me uh, is a film called Five Graves to Cairo. And you can just basically assume from this point on that if the Masters of Cinema Eureka imprint release a Billy Wilder movie, I am going to recommend it on this podcast <laughs> because it's another one. And it's, uh, you know, as amazing as everything else. Um, now, Five Grays to Cairo is one of Tarantino's favorite movies. And you can see how it might have influenced his approach to Inglorious Bastards. But it's a bit more nuanced than that film. I mean, I love Inglorious Bastards, but um, yeah, Five Graves to Cairo is uh, it's a very interesting film. It's no kind of propaganda piece, despite the fact it's a war movie released in 1943. Um, The characters are uh, all pretty layered and interesting. And it was... Billy Wilder's second American film as a co-writer and director. Uh, It was a collaboration with screenwriter Charles Brackett, who would go on to write Double Indemnity, A Foreign Affair, Sunset Boulevard, and more. Um, Yeah. I'm not going to say, as as with Palm Springs, I'm not going to say anything about the plot, not even the setup, uh, as I do think a Billy Wilder film should be a blind buy for anyone who listens to this podcast by this point. Absolutely. Um, but there are loads of twists and surprises that I don't want to spoil. So, um, yeah, Five Graves to Cairo, uh, available on the Masters of Cinema imprint. I loved it. You'll love it too. Dan, what do you have next? I do not have anything next because you made me go first and I've done both of mine. Bloody hell. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. Well, at least no one can no one can tweet a complaint about that, can they? Oh, and then there was the bit where Sam said, what's next from Dan? And Dan didn't add a, have anything because he'd done everything. I'm not mocking the people that tweet us. I love you all. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm more mocking myself. Um, should we go into extra features, extra features, extra features? Extra features. (laughs) 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 I believe you have something for us this week, Sam. I do, yeah. Um, Wow, that was great. Yes, I... uh, Part of my my lucky access to She Dies Tomorrow was that I was lucky enough to speak to the director, Amy Simons, about her amazing and timely film. Um, I say that, I haven't actually done the interview yet, so as long as the Zoom doesn't explode in the heat, it will happen. Uh, but it means that I don't know which bit I've clipped for extra features. So, you know, this is going to be as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. Let's listen to what Amy has to say about whatever it is they asked. Hello, Amy. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. So, yeah, I'll go straight into it. There are so many ways the film crosses over with the mood of the pandemic, as, as you say. Um, there's an for me there's an early moment when Amy walks outside with kind of epic stirring music playing before it abruptly cuts and it feels like this mixture of the mundane and the extremely important um, that speaks to the situation we're in right now it's a feeling that lingers in the film was that mixture of the kind of important and the mundane something you were playing with yeah completely I mean and also with humor you know of the the absurdity of it and and I I feel like yeah like that's the thing is like with, with in dealing with whether it's anxiety or 
or trauma or loss or, or your own existential dread, you know, your feelings, you know, you go through these roller coaster of feelings where it's like unbelievably consuming, you know, but then you still have to like, you know, do your dishes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like there's a, there's something with, especially like during this time too, it's like, like you, like I'm an, I happen to be a news junkie. So I like, you know, will watch stuff and be like, Oh my God, we're all doomed, you know? And then it's like, if I just shut my computer, it's like, I, I go back to the complete silence of me being alone in my house, <laughs> you know? And so it's, so like, so, and I find that, uh, I, I mean, it's not just, it's absurd to me, but it's like sadly absurd. There's like a lot of emotions about it, but it's, it's, it's whenever I've gone through something extremely hard, it's like you, you know, or, or I've like lost somebody or I've dealt with death very directly. It's not like you, you can't stop living, you know? So there's a, there's almost like a, an overwhelming aspect to, to death or an almost, it is very overwhelming, but then also you have to keep living and you have to keep doing these sort of normal things. Like the other day I was on doing an interview and we were talking about like got into the meat of like death and fear of death. And then my, the plumber came over, you know, um, (laughs) like right in the middle of the interview, I was like, Oh, the plumber. Um, (laughs) but it's, it's that sort of like that, what I, what I find so sort of beautiful about life is the, is the, the clash of the, the overwhelming and these ecstatic moments with the monotony you know of of like you know and even with like quarantine it's like the time right now I uh, when when we first got quarantined it feels like it was yesterday and also five years ago you know because of the the almost groundhog day element to it now I'm from the Arrow video podcast and uh, we released uh, the endless which came with resolution so Benson and Moorhead movies um, they produce She Dies Tomorrow. Can you talk a little bit about working with them? And are you a fan of The Endless and Resolution? Yeah, we met, um, well, me and and uh, Justin and Aaron met in 2012 when when my film Sun Don't Shine was going around and their film uh, Resolution was going around. And we met in Sweden at this at a fantastic fest in Lund. And, uh, and we, we were festival buddies. This is one of the sad things about festivals not happening. And I totally understand why they're not, but you make, you know, you develop these friendships with other filmmakers and you get to like relate, not just as like creatives and, and, and enjoy each other's movies, but you get to like have, you know, sort of talk the the nuts and bolts of filmmaking and, and develop these like, you know, friendship friendships. And then also you become colleagues. And so when I was, Making this, I, I, there was a moment where I thought, um, where I was talking to them about maybe, maybe doing it through their deal because they have a deal uh, at at this place called Welgo, mm-hmm. and I, I was talking about the, doing it with them through their deal, but um, then I was like, I don't know, I think I might just self finance it, and they, they, they all said, you know, well, let us know if you want us to do anything like any of the boring stuff. Uh, Dave Lawson, who, who is with with them who produces for them mm-hmm. um was like let me know if you want me to just do you know even if it's just filling out union work or like paperwork and I was like okay and I called him the next day and I was like <laughs> come over and do it because <laughs> I was like I don't want to do it so if you're going to do it then you guys can produce and do all the stuff I don't want to do <laughs> and yeah have you seen the endless or resolution I have I I actually moderated a QA Q&A for the endless 
and oh, then wow. um, and then resolution. I, I, I've seen resolution because that's where we met. But um, what I love about their what, what I love specifically about those two movies is that there's a they have this like very subtle multiverse happening on and that I haven't really seen in a lot of you know scrappy DIY films, which I think is like brings them to the next level. Like there's a lot of uh, referential things in in their movies that like that sort of make them feel like they're part of the same world in a way. I love it because you know she dies tomorrow is obviously very much your own thing. It's your own vision, but I couldn't shake the feeling that it could be going on in the world of the endless and resolution. So completely, that's funny. I, I that you're the first person that said that, but I totally understand why because there's these fantastical, fantastical like. Uh, things that, that, that you, that are unexplainable in all of them. So yeah, I think we should, we should, we should start marketing it, it as that. And then. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And there we go. I I'm bet sure, that... sure it was good. Sorry. <laughs> Dad, I'm sorry. Were you about to make the same joke? I was going to go, I bet that was great. <laughs> Yay. I'm sure it was. Um, thank you so much for speaking to me, Amy, about your excellent film. Uh, I do think it's going to be amongst my favourite films of the year at the end of the year, but let's see. Next time in a fortnight, we will be covering The Game. Um, yeah. Which is very exciting. So uh, it's a limited edition Blu-ray. Do pick it up as soon as you can. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and yeah, we're going to be going into real detail on that one um, because you cannot discuss The Game without discussing the ending, I don't think. So... Yeah, that, it's a, it's a, a it's a high concept film, and it's also like a a, a blockbuster of if ish recent yore. So yeah. yeah, if you haven't watched the game, then we are going to be spoiling it. Yeah, so please watch the game. Right, I think that's it. Uh, that's Dan, it. social media. How can people follow you? Uh, I'm at 13 finger effects on both Instagram and Twitter. I'm trying to put more effects pictures on Instagram these days. Uh, Twitter's still mostly me complaining about the world with the odd, uh, retweet about hosts, <laughs> uh, and some dog pictures. Um, yeah, those are the things shout at me about having got films names wrong there. Yes. And I am. <laughs> at sam ashurst on twitter it's my name all one word and you can shout at me for complaining about people complaining on there if, if you want um but please don't let's keep it positive we're all going for a difficult time it's hot um it's so yeah. hot man so hot um, do you remember when do you remember when donald trump said that the virus would die in the summer <laughs> uh, <laughs> what yes. a fucking idiot <laughs> yes and Dan, didn't you have a remark to make about um, about oh. a drink? <laughs> <laughs> while we were while we were prepping for the for the episode, I said to Sam, "My the most frustrating thing about the heat wave is that I can't tell if my gin is watered down because the ice is melting extra fast, or because the shower I'm standing in twenty four hours a day is getting in my drink." I loved it. Um, and I, I begged him to say it on the podcast and now he has and we've left you on a high precious arrowhead um, so yeah we'll see you in a couple of weeks for the game we love you thank you so much for listening thank and you we promise to be more professional next time next time bye bye <laughs> bye bye <laughs>